Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Serial. It's that one podcast you listen to every now and then when we put it out that discusses, explores, and celebrates all the themes of Saturday morning TV that we grew up with. Uh, and hey, wouldn't you just know it? Damn themes, they've been growing up right alongside us. Uh, it's me, Dan Grimshay, by the way. I'm the one talking at you. You can't shut me down. Uh, if you want to, feel free to tune out these gentlemen. Starting first with uh, our good buddy, Marky. Marky, speak up. Hello there. Mm, Doing a little Star Wars foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it wouldn't be complete with at least Jimmy the Gentle Aziski sitting in the uh, passenger back seat. Jimmy, Jimmy, get loud. It's me, Jimmy. There he is. (laughs) Uh, uh, so, so today is a Star Wars day. It's Star Wars. even May 4th, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the point is, you know, I, I feel like we've never mentioned Star Wars for some reason across almost 10 years of this show. Why not bring it up now? Uh, we got a couple of good guests, uh, especially Huge to those guests. of you, uh, who, who use your ears to consume. Uh, we've got Matthew Wood. First of all, also, you've seen him on screen. Even if you don't know his name, you have heard his work and even his voice. Uh, he's uh, Maybe I won't spoil it. We're going to talk to him later. I'm, I'm not saying anything more about him right now. But Everybody sure. knows, everyone knows who Matthew Wood is. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm dumb for trying. Guarantee it. Go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but also, we have Joseph Shirley is his name. First person to make a joke gets muted. Uh, he's He is a composer, so he's obviously uh, another audio he, guy. Boy, you can't be if we're doing an audio. You can't be serious. No. And Jimmy <laughs> shut down for 30 seconds. <laughs> we need a classic Matthew Wood sound effect of like a droid. He's in, a, he's in the Shirley corner. Oh, old Shirley. He should be. Uh, anyway, Joseph Shirley, composer from, uh, he's done a couple of things. Marky, help me out. Where, where can we find him? Oh, my gosh. Well, the guy, he, he's fresh off of a hit movie called Creed Three, but he's also in the in the Star Wars world. He's done Book of Boba Fett. He's done The Mandalorian. He did the most recent season of The, of the, of the Mandalorian. So we're going to talk about his role as composer because it's, 
it's a little, you have to kind of organize what this means to be a composer. So hold on, wait till that audio comes. It'll make a lot more sense. It will. But in the meantime, I don't know, let's dick around a little bit. What else is big <laughs> in Star Wars news these days? Because uh, I don't know about you guys. Well, actually, I do know about you guys. But I quickly chewed through the new Mandalorian season. Mm -hmm. I understand it's gotten some mixed reviews. I thought it was great. Yeah, well, you're not going to hear a complaint from me. But, Jimmy, what did what did you think? I loved it. I thought it was really good. I think it's uh, – I like I like that show better than the prequels or the sequels uh, outside of the, the original trilogy. Um, well, Rogue One was pretty good. But uh, that that's kind of my wheelhouse – I mean, wheelhouse for Star Wars, that, that sort of storytelling, those characters, that – I guess that – time period in the Star Wars universe, right? I really I really enjoyed it. A couple of those cameos, you could do even debate if they are cameos at all. But Oh, I um, we don't. Uh <laughs> they were a, a little over the top for me, but other than that, I mean, you know, overall I give it a 9 and a half out of 10. <laughs> that's a that's a great risk good. And because you can't put something out on the internet without, you know, at least trying to shit somewhere on it. I'll go with Jimmy. I'll chase down that .5 star that he didn't give it. Uh, and these cameos, there was that one, to me, it was a weak link in the season, that one diversionary fetch quest episode. Yeah. Uh, I and not, It was still good TV. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like this is one of those rare shows that I watch every week the day it comes out, if I can. Usually I wait for stuff to pile up, and then I binge that mother. So if I was binging it like I normally do, it probably wouldn't have bothered me so much. But I'm looking forward a whole week being like, all right, where does this adventure take us? And immediately, just like in a video game, when you enter like a, like a new section of the open world, you get pulled off to do a fetch quest right away. Yeah, well, both like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll take you to see who you need. But first, you got to do us this favor and go track down this unrelated story arc. Almost every series has, like, into last episode of, and I'm talking about modern streaming series these days within the last five, seven years, has that last, the second to last episode is either a flashback or it explains everything or it's a throwaway or it's like, a, like this particular episode was just, like, for fun, I guess. But even though that was my least favorite episode, I'm talking about Jack Black and Lizzo's appearances. Uh, even though that was my least favorite episode of the season of this season, it was still it was still a lot of fun. There's still some cool stuff that happened. There was a, you know uh, I still enjoyed it. I just uh, thought you know what yeah. are we doing here? Yeah, I and when oh, I binge it again later, it'll it won't bother me nearly as much because I know we're back on track afterwards, so I can right. take a breather. So I get that pacing, but a week to week show, man, you better deliver. Well, here I'm I'm like in that scene of. The Schwarzenegger movie Commando. I'm like strapping up. I'm oh boy. tying the the grenades to my vest. <laughs> I'm putting the camouflage across. I'm 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 ready to defend that episode because I thought it was great. Um, I think I loved the like Law and Order kind of aspect of it, where they really, really, really leaned into that Law and Order part because you had the the partner, you had the kind of you know the real kind of uh, gruffy kind of older partner, which was the Bo-Katan craze. 
Then you had the young kind of hot shot, just ready to kind of tangle with those droids, Mandalorian. And they go and they, you know, they end up going through all of these guest appearances, not cameos, but guest appearances from Jet, from Jack Black and from Lizzo and from um, Christopher Lloyd. Not, not to Christopher Lloyd. Just so you're aware, in the final show, there will be an edited-in editor's note about how you're wrong. But continue. <laughs> so they end up they end up going through all of these guest appearances, uh, performed wonderfully, um, and of course, it ends up being the biggest guest star of them all. Right? I mean, of course, that's who's guilty because that's how a Law and Order episode is. So um, beside that, beside the kind of meta, kind of pop culture kind of joke that it was. Um, I loved that. I loved all that story building about the droids, you know, and about how they're they're kind of of itching for kind of rights and for kind of purpose and for for meaning to not be discarded. Um, and I think that's that's world building. And I think Star Wars is is it's, it's very important to Star Wars just to build that world, you know, more specifically to build that universe. But you know, I think it's really important, and it was a fun episode. It was a great episode. It was great action, and it did have a little something to do with the end because they end up, you know, uh, um, meeting up with uh, Axe Wolves, which gives them the fleet, which, you know, allows them to kind of get into Mandalore. And, you know, as soon as they met up with Axe Wolves, it was they had done the fetch quest. They were, they, that, that is what the, the episode should have started with is my argument. Um, well, that that is why they went to that planet was to meet with him. But anyway, yeah. yeah. But anyway, like let, let's let they had dinner with Lizzo and Jack Black first. In brilliant cameos, loved them. Not a kid, every bit of it. Just a guest role, not a cameo. Mm-hmm. But to move past that and to move into like the grander kind of discussion that's out there right now, I think you're right. Say... We should talk to Matthew Wood. <laughs> Well, hold on, hold on. Matthew uh, Wood, Matthew Wood who is it? surely we're not listening to that uh, interview first. Surely uh, later, Wood is now. But uh, hold on, hold on, real quick, because we just our home second. We just had a Mandalorian war, jetpacks, aerial assaults, star destroyers crashing, a force yielding. Well, Baby Yoda saving the day without attacking anybody, all force and smarts and bravery. Like we had, we had a dark saber. We had a Mandalorian supervillain played by Gus Fring. Like we had just an incredible, incredible season and battle and war. Sounds like Marquis had to take a nap oh. afterwards. <laughs> It was an incredible. Yeah, it was, and uh, yeah. and spectacle beyond even cinema, beyond. kind of. And it didn't feel like there was a wasted second, aside from all the ones I mentioned, in in the in the storytelling. <laughs> but not one camping. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, why don't we go ahead and listen to a to a chat with a Star Wars, uh, not pioneer, but current torch holder, uh, the man in charge of the sound lexicon you know what you are allowed what things in any star wars property should sound like have to get his okay um so you know damn it he's a big deal hey magic interview machine let's hear from matthew wood 
I guess, how, what's your origin story? How did you get from a, like an entry-level position to sitting in Ben Burt's seat? Was that a quick battle? Were you anointed? Uh, yeah. Anointed. Um, I think, yeah, you know, I got that job uh, at Lucasfilm very young. I was still in high school. I was a video games tester. So, um, yeah, I uh, and then I just persisted. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I got over imposter syndrome maybe about few, maybe two years ago. No, I'm kidding. I've been I've been I've been there about 32 years. Uh, it was I, I just this amazing uh, opportunity came about uh, for me to be able to test video games uh, for a company that was in Nicasio, California, and I grew up in the Bay Area and San Francisco Bay Area, so. I did some research. I was, you know, working at the county library, and I did some research about what what kind of companies were in Nicasio, and and I looked it up, and it was either going to be like some kind of agricultural dairy farm, or likely Lucasfilm. And in those days, you know, Lucasfilm was a hidden place. You couldn't find Skywalker Ranch. You know, it wasn't. There was no way to Google it, and it was this very hidden place. So I, I I ended up I faxed a resume over to them. My father had a fax machine for some of the business he was doing at the time in 1989. And uh, I was able to get my resume to the top of the pile because they said that no one ever faxed a resume to them before. <laughs> and so I got an interview and I was able to kind of, you know, hit it off with some one of my colleagues there. And uh, I ended up becoming a tester uh, for some really early video games at LucasArts, uh, The Secret of Monkey Island and Indiana Jones The Last Crusade and Loom and uh, Secret Weapons of Luftwaffe. And so I, I ended up having a really great time working out there. I was a gamer myself. I still am. So uh, being able to test video games for a job was just, I couldn't even believe that was an actual profession. And uh, and, it, and I made some great connections. And and luckily, I, I had a recommendation when there was a, an opening that happened at Skywalker Ranch first at Skywalker Sound. George Lucas was putting together a uh, post-production uh sort of way that he wanted to do the new prequel movies. And he uh, was doing a lot of R&D inside the company itself and doing a program called Sound Droid and another one called um, Edit Droid. And I got uh, asked to be part of the Sound Droid development team to kind of test their program. So they, they went and got a tester from their games division because the suggestion was, get one of those kids from games to come in and hammer on our program and see if you can break it. And, and uh, we started working on the Young Indiana Jones TV series back then. George, and that was sort of our precursor to get ready to do more movies, more Star Wars films uh, in the 90s. And I remember a lot of droid sounds in that old show. Yeah. <laughs> Not in Young Indy. I certainly, I, it's funny because that, I, I was, uh, I'm a, I do acting as well. You know, that's something I, I was, I've always loved and I've always been in theater as a kid and uh, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco and I've done, um, you know, community college theater and all that when I was younger. And I got a lot of opportunities from George to put my voice into young Indiana Jones. It was always like, we need somebody here to do this and that, this, you know, this peasant in this scene or this guy that's fighting in that scene. And so I, I, I got a lot of practice doing that with him because one of the great things about working with George and Ben Burt uh, was that they were just open to just being able to do uh, not just your, you know, job that you had to do. They were open to, you know, if you had suggestions about other things or, wanted to participate in some other role. Um, they were very open to that. And it was an independently minded company. Um, and sort of the buck stopped with George. And I got to be part of that core team on working and developing um, a, a procedure in a way that we would 
do the prequel movies and uh and then and and that went on for a long time <laughs> so Gordon Wright from teenage game tester to uh you know playing uh bib fortuna yeah yeah i see I see the through line there fell through line that was a funny story because I was working i think it, yeah that was on phantom menace and um at that point, that was my first big supervising job I was doing with Ben Burt. Um, I've, I always idolized Ben. I, you know, was one of the first people I met when I started at Skywalker Ranch. And um, he was taking a break and doing a lot of directorial stuff for IMAX. And um, But he was going to come back to do the prequel movie and uh, the prequel movies. And uh, it was right around the time that digital technology was changing for filmmaking. And I got in, you know, really early being part of that development team. And so I was able to teach him some of the new ways of doing sound. And he was able to teach me the aesthetics of sound design and what it's like to work with the team and his sort of approach to how he created the Star Wars sound you know, universe. And so I, I got that amazing um, lesson from him and, and it created a lifelong uh, relationship together um, on film. And he's just a great mentor and a wonderful person that still works at Skywalker and I, I and uh I'm forever grateful for him. Yeah. So the uh the two of you essentially wrote the uh well probably chiefly him, so no offense to you, but now wrote the I don't know, sound style guy. Totally that you I mean and I, yeah and, and the one thing that was amazing about working on those Star Wars films is that George Lucas himself really considered sound a, a major player in the in making of the movies. You know, we have John Williams, obviously, incredible soundscape that he had created uh, musically. And then um, sound, George gave a lot of time and budget and effort to. So we would start a year, sometimes more than a year before the shooting even began, to start acquiring sound effects and going out and recording animals and and machines and explosions and artillery and, and soundscapes and wind and, and all that to just come... And, and have a great new palette of things to work with to create these worlds. And that's something he did on the original Star Wars films. That's how Ben Burt had all that time uh, to, to create all those incredible sounds of R2-D2 and the lightsabers and TIE fighters and Chewbacca and, and droids and, and the Millennium Falcon. And it, it, he was given time and budget um, uh, to do that by George. And then he created this amazing soundscape that, it was kind of unprecedented at the time, and I think he even got uh, one of the first special sound effects, special sound awards for um, as an Oscar for that film. Oh, well deserved. That's uh, yeah. a huge part of our lexicon, you know, our cultural zeitgeist lexicon. Uh, the yeah. Star Wars sounds. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember when uh, Star Wars. I saw Star Wars in the theater, not The New Hope, right? So I'm yeah, old yeah. enough to remember that first press push where a lot of the focus was on how they how they did that like how they got the lightsaber noises how they got yeah. recorded the sound for the for the blasters and everything so yeah um you keep referring to him as Mr. Lucas as George uh yeah. so can i assume that you've got a very close relationship yeah. with him do you have do you have a a great anecdote that maybe you could share with us about hanging I out with George is the most down to earth uh average everyday billionaire you'll ever meet i mean he's just uh, he uh he's a um you know completely i never felt like um i mean star wars obviously is something bigger than all of us and that's one thing that we all kind of felt is is when we're working on this project it wasn't it was it was a 
is a group of folks coming together from all different backgrounds and and to come it, almost like it is in the movie it's how you know like the storytelling of people coming together and under some sort of duress and then they have to achieve something that's kind of what we felt like working on the films with george um and you know we never really had there wasn't drama created just for the sake of drama there wasn't a lot of overtime done there you know george valued family and um, personal life uh, as much as he valued us doing a good job on the film so that's why we have this amazing place like skywalker ranch that we work at that's it's incredible one-of-a-kind high-tech sort of movie making empire that's in the middle of beautiful nature in northern california uh i don't think that exists really anywhere in the world and he didn't have to take his profits from the film and put it into something that was going to benefit his employees like that but he did and um he's just uh I, i'll you know forever be grateful for working with him um and i try to i try to be that bridge now that we're you know the intellectual property of star wars is now owned by disney but we're still at Skywalker Ranch and George is our landlord now. So we still, he owns the physical property of where we work and, and, you know, um, we're now for working for Disney, but I'm trying to be that bridge to connect, um, new generations of, of people coming in that are filmmakers at the Skywalker and, and, and to sort of connect to that, the ways working with George specifically and there's folks like myself and, and Dave Filoni and other, other people at Lucasfilm that have that, that, had that uh, lucky pleasure to be able to work with George directly and, and be able to pass some of that on to, to future generations feels really good to be a keeper of that torch. Well, uh, well it's, 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 you should be honored. I'm glad to hear you're taking it seriously. Absolutely. The fandom yeah. has very sharp ears. Oh yeah, they do. Um, and you know what you're, uh, you're, I can't imagine how many hundreds of hours you've spent with some headphones on just listening to raw sounds. Uh, and I, also you are a, a major performer, so I yeah. know you're not afraid of a little spotlight. So I've got a little challenge for you. Sure. You I know? would like to hear right off the top of your head, as well as you can do it, uh -huh. your best Wilhelm scream. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, uh, well, there's two sort of Wilhelm screams that we've used over the years and one, uh, and there's dogs in here, so hopefully they won't bark, <laughs> but one of them is, uh, 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 the really, the sort of, the big one is like the high pitched Yelp one goes like, goes, uh, uh, oh gosh, I gotta, gotta I gotta get them right here. Hold on. Like, are they in my head? Cause we haven't, I haven't actually used them in a while. I have a new screen that we've been putting into films in the last sort of five, 10 years. Um, oh, oh, oh we'll get to that then. Yeah. Yeah. But the we new one, uh, then, yeah, there's, there's the sort of lower one that's ow, like that. that. That's the lower one. And then the other one is, ow. That's yeah, that's the classic. Ooh, that was good. There's two. There's two. Yeah, um, and uh, certainly it's we put them in a lot of films. But there's another another scream that we've been um, secretly putting in that I'm not able to divulge yet until we have a a full. Uh, uh, I'd like to get a, a lot of films under our belt with it, and maybe it'll come out one day. But it is peripherally connected to Lucasfilm in a way that's very deep and meaningful so it does exist in the medium somewhere already yeah by itself yes. and you yeah. have been recycling it so this is the absolute yeah the film i'm working on right now actually we just put it in on there too but i won't even divulge the film that i'm working on right now i'll just have to look at my mm. I am imdb later when it comes out today's episode teaser <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
So, Matthew, you, yeah. you've done, your career goes way back to the redoing the, the Star Wars, the re-release, right? And the original yeah. trilogy re-release. And uh, yeah. as I scroll through IMDb, I see uh, Con Air, The Rock, oh, yeah. Big Hits uh, that you worked on. So, and and now you have, you, in addition to all the voice, uh, sound engineering, you do a lot of voices. So you, e- you either die a sound engineer or you live long enough to become a voice actor. How do you Pretty transition yeah. from job to job? I mean, for me, it was it was a logical thing just because I loved acting so much, and it, it just works a different part of my brain. This sort of instantaneous um, feedback to something you're doing is very real and organic, and and it's you know, on instinct. Um, and so, uh, and as opposed to a lot of the tech, technical work I do, and then a lot of the sound design work I was doing, I would use my voice for various creatures or droids or whatever it is. Um, I never really expected it to go as wide as it did. Um, and certainly working on Star Wars has opened up a lot of doors for me, which I'm forever grateful for. I love doing voice acting. It's it's one of my favorite things. I'm using the same equipment I use every day to do sound effects work and, and editorial. Um, but, um, but yeah, part, so one of my favorite parts of the job is I have a group of folks that I work with, um, uh, my loop troop that's with Terry Douglas and, and we have, you know, 15, 20 folks that are really, uh, highly motivated voice actors and we get together and we go through all these movies and projects I'm working on and we put our voices in various places to, you know, for creatures and droids and, you know, the radio voices and crowds and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of filling in all the, 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 the sort of spice of the, of the soundtrack that way and additional voices. Yeah, additional voices, and that, that's one of my favorite. It happens, though, when, like, the two jobs overlap, like when you do Gerald Grievous's voice. <laughs> do you then go in and filter it and process it yourself, or do you feel like yeah. trusted to someone else? I, I do, like, um, yes, I will go ahead and do that. If it's if it's something like Grievous, I usually do it myself. My, my colleague, uh, Chris Scarabosio, that I've worked with for 30-plus years, he came up with sort of the way that Grievous was going to sound. Um, that was before I had the role. This is when we were passing it through all these different actors. We probably did 40 or 50 different actors through this process to kind of see which one we liked. And that was towards the end when George hadn't picked one yet is when I submitted mine anonymously with the latest, with the last group of actors. And that's the one he picked. So I, I Jedi mind tricked George Lucas to get the job. Curiosity. How did, how was it being pitched to the actors? Like what was the, the one line, like, this is what he sounds like. I need mean, wheezy. Yeah, we, we had we had a we had a look. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Warren Fu had come up with sort of the look of what he was going to look like, and um, so we had that, and we had some animatics. You know, scenes that we had worked out in, in video form, like a video sort storyboard. And George would just kind of leave it up to the actor in a way. I mean, you kind of tell him he's a general, he's in charge of a droid army, he's frustrated, he doesn't, he's not really trusting of anybody. Um, and, you know, he's, uh, he's got a nasty cough, thumbs his nose at the Jedi. You know, the cough part of it um, was was kind of added later. I mean, it was it was the kind of thing I remember because when I did the audition for it, I could really practice the lines that I was auditioning for. And then once I got the role, I was like, wow, some of these sentences are a lot longer than um, the audition sentences were. And because part of that role was really, you know, like. I've been trained in your Jedi arts and you have to speak like very like this, you know, like the whole time. Um, and so it was like a, but long, you know, I expected someone with your reputation to be, you know, uh, 
And so yeah. you were really uh, kicking yourself for picking that voice. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay, I have to do this like all the time now. But like I would run out of breath. And there was a couple of sections where I ran out of breath. And George was like, no, no, that's good. That's good. That's good. And and then coincidentally, George himself had a cough the day that we were recording the the the, uh, the part. And my buddy Chris was running the recorder. And George came up to the mic to give me direction. He was about to do this cough. And I kind of looked at Chris like, keep it rolling. And we recorded some of those coughs. And we, as we processed them through the same processing chain that I, I used for my voice, I sent those back to him to be able to cut in his picture editing Avid suite. And they ended up peppering some of George's coughs. And then later on, I came in and did a whole bunch more because we he determined he liked that, that it showcased that the character had a biological weakness. And it wasn't just 100% robotic. There was a cybernetic component that was... Uh, vulnerable to, you know, obviously when Obi-Wan Kenobi dispatches him halfway through the movie, uh, it's because he opened up his chest cavity and he got to the biological, you know, parts inside of him. So that, that cough was sort of just illustrate that it was, you know, all these villains have some form of weakness, just like Darth Vader with his awful lung that goes on. So it was similar to that. Yeah. That, that I just remember being so struck with that first time seeing it. Yeah. What a genius idea. Yeah, you know, yeah. This frightening robotic cough. Yeah, very strange, very strange uh, idea, and I, and that that was you know all in the mind of George. That's the way it was. You know, he would he'd come up with these things, and we would, and we would we would carry them out. And there wasn't a lot of lot of discussion or you know big committee discussion about things. I mean, he he made the movies he wanted to make, and that felt good to be able to serve that for him and see him be happy and, and feeling like he made the movie that he wanted to make. So that, that was a good feeling. Ed, well, you're, uh, I'm listen. Sorry, yeah, I'm listening to your listening to your grievous right now. It sounds like a slightly less ethnic Watto. Oh right, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things he kind of. I mean, it's funny because once the, I put some ring modulation on it, I pitch him down a little bit, and then I uh, filter it to make it sound like it's coming out of a speaker. So there's a slightly different approach. Also, I play all those battle droids, all those little like you know, look out, Roger, Roger, all those guys. So the, those those have been hilarious over the years. So a lot of scenes in the Clone Wars series that I I did with Dave Filoni, um, I have a lot of scenes with myself where I'm ordering myself around for things. <laughs> and then you know Grievous is down here, and the battle droids are all up here. So it was a quick way to juxtapose those two kind of way together. Yeah, they're really fun. Oh, like now, every session. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I? Can we ask you about? Um, Bim Fortuna, you were sure you played him. You played him in live action as well as voicing him in the uh, Phantom Menace. I did. Right? So, yeah, kind of like bookending his actually, Yeah, Phantom Menace. He was just a, there was a cameo there in the pod race where he's with uh, Jabba as Jabba announces the pod race and it's about to start. And I have to kind of wake him up at one point because he dozes off. Um, but that was we shot that at ILM. And then late '90s, and then I—that was just a cameo that I didn't really even—it wasn't credited. I didn't really tell anybody about it. But uh, funnily enough, Dave Filoni knew about it, and so when we were going to bring—I was told they were going to bring uh, the timeline was going to exist where he'd be alive after Return of the Jedi. And and uh, uh, Favreau and Filoni came to me, and they were like, "We have really big plans, really big plans for Bib Fortuna." So. You know, get ready. We're bringing him back. And I was like, wow, you know, I thought that was amazing. And every I'd get the scripts early for the show because I'm working on it for, I'd read episode one, 
okay, nothing. And I said, you know, it's like I forgot through the entire <laughs> season of Mandalorian, you know, and there was amazing things happening in season two of Mandalorian, like the, you know, Luke coming back and, and, and all that. And, uh, and I get to the last episode, I'm on episode 208 reading the script. And then I get to the very end and there's just one paragraph that talks about, you know, Ben Fortuna's on the throne, Boba Fett walks in, shoots him and that's it. <laughs> and, and so I was like, what? I don't, is there going to be another flashback? And so I went down to costume fitting and then I found out what they meant by big plans because it was, yeah. it hit me that must've taken a while. With this huge fat suit um, and amazing costume and, and super well thought out. And uh, it's, you know, six hours of makeup or whatever it was to get into the costume and to shoot for a day. But when I got out the set, John Favreau and Solani, they were just cracking up, you know, at like, you know, and I was like, big plan, big plan. And I, I just, I loved that. That was such a fun day because it was, you know, really, they had done a lot more makeup than I had done. For Phantom Menace, it was kind of in a, in a wide shot and I had a couple of close-ups and, you know, or closer shots in, in uh, Book of Boba. And they, you know, I had the full teeth and the, and the, um, the contacts and the, the giant lacue that were like, you know, they have the huge and it was just like the costume was amazing. And I, I really felt like I could embody it just, and they created Java's palace, you know, and it was, and it wasn't all done in the volume. It was actually physically made uh, there. And I just remember thinking, sitting in, I was literally, we were shooting the show and I'm sitting in the throne watching, you know, Boba Fett come down the stairs and walk over to me and I'm trying to appeal to him and some, you know, speaking Hatties. But I just remember thinking like, that's the action figure that I sent away for with Kenner and the, and the, you know, that I thought, you know, George Lucas personally was packing all up the Boba Fett's to send to the kids, you know, in the eighties or late seventies. And my guy's going to come over and he's, he's going to kill me. And I just, I, it was such a like out of body moment. I, I was, you know, all, all parts of me were really happy at that point to go to act and then, and then be able to, and also Tamara Morrison, I've worked with him for so long and it was fun because he didn't know I was cast as, as a character. So I kind of was messing with him for a little while before he knew it was me, <laughs> uh, which was great with the long fingernails and all that. But that, that, that's one of those moments where Star Wars is so special. It's just something that is connected to our childhood, a lot of us to our childhood DNA and, and learn to be part of it, to be able to be part of the creation of it. Uh, uh, I feel 100% fortunate to be able to be part of that because I know if I wasn't creating it, I'd certainly be in the fandom, a real big part of it. Um, just, you know, discussing it with others and going to conventions and, and having that, you know, world because it was just meant so much to me growing up as a kid. So it's, it's pretty fun to be able to make it as well yep well yeah. i'm just waiting for uh for my turn to play bib and tuna i didn't work on full circle thanks back yeah uh actually real quickly i'm glad you uh brought up the volume because before yeah. we let you go i did want to ask you real quick you know about you know time is marching on technology's changing and now ilm has the x lab yeah i've been working with yes that's it's really fun I don't, you can't even really even call it like a game studio. What, what, how broad is it? What, what is the work you're doing with it? Um, you know, they're, they're sort of an experimental division of the company, which has been, but which has been making some amazing interactive experiences for people to, uh, uh, to have, uh, in the star Wars universe. And, uh, I've been able to work with some of the, there's uh, an office, a, a subset at Skywalker ranch with, uh, Kevin Bolin 
that I've been able to help them um, just evaluate what they're looking at. Since I'm a gamer, you know, putting on VR and working in all that space is not intimidating to me. I don't get like, I don't have any kind of motion difficulty with any of it. And the games are so amazing. I don't think I even would if I did, but, but, but I also voice act for them and a lot of the care, a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the projects that they're working on. And then I also cast some of the, the ancillary talent to come in and, and, and do their voice acting for it. But it's been, I, I love watching, uh, the engine in which they create things, uh, it's it's similar to a gaming engine, but because it, it is an interactive experience, but it just watching Star Wars be put into that world um, and to be able to act in it. And I, that's one thing Lucasfilm's always been great with is is using new and experimental technology. That was one thing George really funded a lot of crazy tech technology back in the day that really paid off to to build what Industrial Light and Magic and Skywalker Sound are. And we're and Kathy Kennedy is continuing that, and and Disney is continuing that with with these uh, groups to to just be able to get entertainment out to people in new and different ways. And Star Wars is is certainly something to to use uh, as a tool to do that because it's so vast and um, so uh, universally well liked so far. So good. Yes, knock wood. You only got about forty. Yeah, sign out. Sign out. Forty. I know. What is it? Yeah. What is it? Forty years now. Forty-five. Yeah. Forty-five. Summer, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Sounds right. And what about uh, Mubo in Tales from the Galaxy's Edge? Oh, yeah, Mubo. So he's there's sort of the droid. He runs the droid depot um, at Galaxy's Edge. The story is that, you know, he, the droid depot there where you can you can create your uh, your own droids there. Mubo is a, uh, is part of that. And so they wanted I, – I did some voices for Disney Parks uh, for, for the Mubo character. Um, and then when we wanted to do the interactive experience, uh, I, I came in and did that. And, and so he he uh, he puts you out on adventures to go help uh, you know him cr- uh, bring stuff back to this for his uh, to be to be worked on. Uh, um, and then and at the same time you're you're trying to evade the first order. And and there's also uh, sections of the game where you're being trained as a Jedi and and uh, you meet up with Yoda, and I got to work with uh, Frank Oz again, and he came back to do Yoda, which was amazing. Uh, Anthony Daniels did C-3PO, uh, so it was a great cast, uh, and more. Yeah. Ooh, I'm not oh, sure. You're like the uh, Forrest Gump of Star Wars. <laughs> what was that? I said you're like the Forrest Gump of Star Wars. All your, uh, just <laughs> on all these, at least, you know, at least from my side, you know, all these great names, right, and add you to those to that list. Yeah, it's it's been uh, I I I've loved being able to work with the original actors, and then also I worked you know I I had a relationship with J.J. Abrams because I had done the Star Trek films uh, with him. So when he came on to do uh, the the sequels, it was a natural sort of bridge for me to do those. And um, I'm I'm working with Ryan Johnson uh, since Last Jedi. I've done the Knives Out movies with him. Uh, we just finished up the sequel. Uh, to that one, but it's it just yeah, Star Wars. I make a lot of great connections with people um, through through this company and with Star Wars, and, and, and you know, forge relationships with filmmakers. I hope that'll last forever because um, it's, it's Star Wars is that is it is a good uh, icebreaker. It's a good you know, it joins people together. Um, usually, when, like when I'm I'm staffing uh, a team of sound folks. Uh, I usually get a lot of the cream of the crop that want to work with us and they have a passion for it that extends um, well beyond a, a normal project. And, and you're getting um, that same feeling that I have, which is it's bigger than any one person. And we're all trying to contribute to something that is going to be entertaining for people and it's going to be meaningful for people. Um, and um, 
that's that's our sort of main goal when we make the shows you know it's and i and i it, it's it's born out of you know the our original maker of the show george lucas and i just try to continue that ethos um into what we make now all right star wars that i fax my resume to yeah, the fact that five I'm sure we have a fax somewhere. We, we might have a fax machine somewhere on in a closet somewhere. I'm not sure where that, maybe there's just this resume is going to it that I haven't seen. I should go try to look it up. <laughs> so I was, I was going to say Star Wars is like the force. It surrounds us. It binds us together. Yeah. Everyone together. Yeah. I feel that. I totally feel that. And I'm, and I'm, I'm so happy that. Also, we can still work at Skywalker Ranch, which, you know, George, when he, you know, changed his interest to maybe doing his museum and, and, and getting out of the sort of filmmaker business uh, day-to-day basis, he could have closed the doors to Skywalker, and that could have been the end of the, the, the legacy, but he's left the us open at Skywalker. We're working at Skywalker Ranch, where, where the original movies were done, and, and uh, that, that really permeates into the work that we do. And it's and it's a very fortunate thing that he's yeah. kept us going like that, and 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 then uh, the legacy of, you know, he could have sold it off as a as an intellectual property that wasn't connected to the actual people, and he didn't do that. He gave us to you know Disney has taken us on, and the actual people that made the original films are part of making these new films, and it's it's about the people making it, which which is a huge part of. Um, the appeal of working with people like George Lucas, where they look at that, they don't separate the people from the intellectual property and it's, it's all cared for by the actual people that make it. So that, that feels good too. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we're probably have taken up enough of your afternoon, but Jimmy, yeah. I know you've got at least one more question. For the... Well, I do. Let me, uh, let me bring this star destroyer in for a landing with this last question here. When I was a little guy, I used to have to get up early, beat my brother to the couch on Saturday mornings to get the good spot in front of the TV, right? Yeah. But I'd have to get up even earlier than that to beat my parents into the kitchen so I could pour myself a big bowl of sugary goodness. So, Matthew, I'd like to know, what was your favorite bowl of Saturday morning cereal? And what cartoons did you watch? Saturday morning cereal, let's see. Um, it's funny, we we only got the really sugary stuff when we were on like a, a trip. When we went on a car trip, we would get the little like multi-boxed cereal where you, like, uh, where you could like, you know, and I didn't even know you could do this, but you like cut the box down the middle and open it up and pour milk into the actual box. Right. The wax paper in there. But we got those like when we were traveling around. But I think my, my one that I honestly, I would life cereal. I liked life cereal. Just the life. I don't know if that was the one I, I know. It was kind of boring. That was the one I had like when I was living at home. But like if we're out on the road, um, I would say um, honeycomb or what was the one that was like the po- the pops? Was there what called pop? You were like uh, there were. It was like a yellow mix. But I know the one you're talking. Yeah, about. sugar pops. Sugar pops. Yeah, yeah, sugar pops. I, I dug the sugar pops. We're out on the road, um, and then definitely Saturday mornings. I mean. Warner Brothers cartoons were, you know, uh, the Bugs Bunny stuff was certainly one of my faves. I mean, I could probably, I mean, the Barber Seville, that's like, I, I, every, that's one of my favorites. I mean, I, I love watching Saturday morning cartoons, the classics there. I, I have a brother and a sister, so we certainly uh, all sat on the couch doing that on Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, uh, we used to go on those long trips too, my family and I, and yeah. get those little boxes, and we thought, oh, what a major revelation in technology! You could eat it 
right out of the box, but it never really worked. Like you spill a little, a little of the milk over in the box, and yeah, pull that part. I know, my dad. Yeah, they're cutting them with a knife, trying to get us. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's so fun time. What a great memory. Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks so much for your time, man. It's an absolute delight to talk to you and spend a little bit of your afternoon with us. Thank you so much. And whenever you're ready to reveal to the world what that scream is that you're oh, using, yes. please think of us first. Okay, I will. Yes, that's right. right. New cereal. I will definitely think of that. Yes. Oh, right on. Thank you so Thank much you. for having you do, Matthew. Great to meet you. May the force be with you. Thanks a lot. And you, and with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. Howdy. Oh. I'm Big Yellow, and I'm so wild about Kellogg's Sugar Corn Pops, I'll trade my Big Yellow Bird for a bowl of those Big Yellow Pops. No. Trade me that Big Yellow Taste for my Big Yellow Corn. No. My golf clubs, my car keys. Hold on. What do I need to eat a bowl of those Big Yellow Pops? A spoon. Got one. <laughs> Kellogg's Sugar Corn Pop Cereal, plus toast, juice, milk, and spread is a smart start to your day. Kellogg's Sugar Corn Pops, those Big Yellow Pops are tops. Oh, you like that? that was sugar corn pops. Sugar corn pops. Uh, we were close. We were close. But it, uh, it's almost like uh, uh, like a play on popcorn, which I don't think I ever got when I was a kid. Well, they yeah, they actually kind of look like those kernels. I think they actually look, they're actually shaped like little kernels. I think that's kind of what you're supposed to, that's the imagery that you're supposed to get from the yellow Very much. Very much like a like corn that isn't popped. Yes, exactly. Well, that's dumb. All right. Well, I hate rewriting <laughs> my own history. So, uh, hey, uh, great interview, Matthew Wood. Big deal. Big. Deal. Oh my God, you guys. Did you hear him when he was doing like droid voices. Oh my God, you guys. He did Grievous for you. He did the droids for you. Um, he did the Wilhelm scream for him. He did two of them. He did two Wilhelm screams. I got a. I only consider that second one the real one. I, I know, me too. May the yeah, force I, be with you out of them from a big uh, Star Wars. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal for me. And uh, just, a, just a quick little comment on his cereal choice. Uh, sugar Corn Pops are a fantastic cereal. It's so we didn't get it all the time, but that's a memorable cereal. It's a quality cereal. It's got a lot of sugar in it. It's got, a, you know, corn, whatnot. Great cereal choice. This guy's, a, this guy's an ace. This guy's a top 10 guest of all time. I'd <laughs> You're saying we're going to have him back? I don't. Why? We, you guys just talked for like a half hour. We, we just, we just uh, riddled off a series of wonderful things that he said. There's no way you'll ever get a better interview out of Matthew Wood, who is, uh, who is the heir apparent to Ben Burt, Oscar-winning sound designer for all the movies that we love. And here he is, uh, the voice of General Grievous. I still want to know about that new Wilhelm scream that he's talking about. Yeah. I've been, uh, quite frankly, he, he's kind of a teasing motherfucker. I don't think we're ever going to get a straight answer out of him. So uh, yeah, maybe it is best we let it lie. Well, I'm a, that's the one thing. If Let's say that we're... Surely we're not going to give up that easily on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But... If I was ever in a hotel bar with Matthew Wood, I I would get into it. I would get into it with him about this Wilhelm scream. Would you? Um, because I would. Because you know, every single Star Wars movie has a Wilhelm scream in it, except when he took over. Okay, so 
And I just think it should be in there, the original Wilhelm scream, and I don't know why he ever took it out. I know he's trying to make his own. I get it, and that's awesome. I can't wait to identify it. But the fact that we don't know what he's talking about yet means he should have kept the original in there, at least for the Star Wars, at least for the Skywalker-related um, movies. You know, it's like, if you want to leave it out of row one, go ahead. But, well, Marky, I, I, I shudder to suggest it, but maybe you should go back and rewatch these movies again. <laughs> I rewatch them all the time, and I can't figure out what he's talking about. I there, mean, there's got to be a similar scream in all of them. So all you got to do is isolate that, and, and I bet and I, and you will track it down. I bet it's somehow Star Wars related. I bet it's like well, an Obi-Wan. The clue he gave us was it is related to LucasArts. So very broad, and also doesn't sound like it's. It was originally in a Lucas Arts movie, uh, but Lucas Arts also includes so much. Uh, but see, now I'm thinking like whatever like movie serial that Indiana Jones was based on maybe had a scream in it, and that's what we should see something related to Lucas Arts. You know what I'm. Like, I am so looking out. I am on a bounty hunter mission to find out what the hell he's talking. I want to know what scream he is doing. Oh, and I, and I would have to pay more attention. That's all. You know, he did say that when he's ready to tell the world, he would call us. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, more likely you and I are going to learn when we read on Variety the next day, just like everybody else. But maybe you'll hear it here first. Man, and that's not a promise, listeners. <laughs> but yes, you guys not take wonderful. that to the bank. No, that that check will not cash. But yeah, you guys, that was a wonderful interview. And um, you know, like where I first kind of got like where I first knew about that name, Matthew Wood, was really from his voice work as General Grievous. And you guys talked about it a little bit with him. But that is a that is such a big character. It is such a huge character, such an amazing character, and a fun character in the Star Wars lore. And and that's that's really him. That's really him that did it. And that little the little tease he did for you without even without any of the electronics and the mixing and all that, you could hear that's him. That's Grievous right there. And I mean that's just a big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you, man. But I mean, yeah, another day in the life, Dan Grimshay. <laughs> oh, and, and Jimmy, and also my sidekick, Jimmy's off. <laughs> well, you guys were there with we'll take him. Second, I, mean, um, I mean, have you have you watched a Star Wars movie or um, show that? And uh, since then, that you've thought about I'm looking for this. Well. Yeah. The uh, I think about Matthew time. Wood every day. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up with it. <laughs> well, the last he's... time I watched uh, 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 the the last uh, Star Wars movie, the only screams I remember were my own. <laughs> <laughs> which which movie was this? Uh, you know the the disgrace of the Jedi or what? What the hell was it? You know. So I've, 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 I may have uncovered another clue. He mentioned he's working on a movie. 
Yeah. He can't even tell us what movie he was working on. This was And that was and that was last year. This interview was a few months ago, right? Yeah. And so the only movie that on IMDb that he's attached to since Obi-Wan came out and that was co- sort of the last thing that was on our agenda to talk to him about um is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Okay. So now one of us is going to have to sit through that pile of shit <laughs> and see if they recognize a scream. Uh, uh, first of all, not it. And, uh, well, no, I'll take that one for the team. All right. uh, what can I say? I love me some Paul Rudd. Wait, is it, is it streaming for free on Disney yet? Maybe, maybe. You could well, that, that's when I'll do it. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely watch it. Paul Rudd, I know you're listening. Please. I, I apologize. Please come on the show and, uh, allow us to apologize in person. I know you did. Yeah. I was, I was doing a similar thing where I'm kind of looking through his through his uh, credits here. And I'm like, I wonder what the hell he's talking about. And like, I watched Star Wars movies all the time since, and those are, and a lot of them, he has sound mixed and I cannot isolate. I remember one in uh rogue one. There's like um, where they get jumped in uh Jedha. Like they're, you know, they're like in that town, the one with the, it's kind of up like in the Mesa, like in the cliff, you know? And, I remember like a scream kind of thing. And I wonder if that's what he's talking about, but like, I can't isolate a theme, like a, like a, like a repetitive scream. And I don't know if, um, I don't know if that's the genius I should be recognizing is that I don't know when it is, or if I'm just, I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't, I don't get what he's doing here. And well, what are the great mysteries, you know? I and yeah, I I I endeavor to keep it a mystery, so I'm not going to tell anyone what it is. But it took about four seconds for me on Google right now. Uh, oh, you found it? Yeah, but as as promised, I'm not going to say a word. I will let each of you ask me one question. Uh, is it a rogue one? answer? Oh, okay. Again, not going to answer. But Jimmy, would you like to waste a question? Uh, I'll burn my question. Uh, what? Lucas Arts project is it attached to? Um, like, what is it in, or what is it from? What is it from? I said one question. All right, moving <laughs> on. I was just clarifying my question, Your Honor. Your Honor. Your Honor. If this is truly on, a jury, yeah. my peer. No, speaking early, we're not going to move on before. Oh, question is, I thought I could stop you, but no, like a bulldozer. Nay. It's a Kool-Aid man with a bad pun. There's Jimmy again. Uh, we're talking about screams. You know what you hear screams with? Those damn mirrors. You know what else you use your ears for? To hear composers of music. Composers of music. I love that. Uh, yes. Composers of um, Just to finish off our... Music. To finish off our... May, the, may or may not be May the Fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Fourth. That is not bad. At all. Yeah. Um, uh, both uh, Johnny Heck and I sat down with Joseph Shirley uh, at WonderCon 2023. Uh, the Johnny Heck. <laughs> the Johnny Heck who couldn't who couldn't make it today because it's his birthday. Um, but yeah, uh, that's fair. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to Johnny. Johnny, I, I know you're listening, Johnny. Happy birthday, buddy. But, um, but yeah, so. Joseph Shirley is the composer for the most recent season of The Mandalorian. And um, I know how you guys are, I know a, a lot of you 
sharp-eared fans of this show are like, "Hey, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Uh, Joseph Shirley is the composer of the Mandalorian. That doesn't make any sense. Everybody knows that it's it's um, Gorgon Gorgon. I can never say this guy's name." Uh, Gorenson, I believe it's, it's got the little umlauts. Any anytime you got umlauts in a in a name, it's going to throw me off. Gorenson did the main themes of the Mandalorian, and like season one and season two, it was all of his music, like the you know the kind of whistling kind of sound whenever the Mandalorian does something. That's all Gorenson, right? All that little uh, yeah. oh, Morricone stuff. The, yeah, exactly. That's all him. Spaghetti Western sounds, yeah. Yeah, so so he he does like all the like the big themes of the Mandalorian. But when it comes to the actual composing of the episodes and all the action and all that, it's our guest right now. Joseph Shirley is the guy that comes in and steps in and kind of makes makes all that sound, makes all that music happen when it needs to happen for the episodes. So he is credited as the composer on and themes by Ludwig Gorenson. So if you guys watch in the in this last season of The Mandalorian, just stay when you're looking at all the concept art, you're going to see themes by Lud, uh, by Ludwig Gorenson, music composed by Joseph Shirley. So there's there's different kind of credits associated with it, but this is the guy that did all of that and um he also is responsible for uh, the music for the Book of Boba Fett. He was the composer for that, also uh, working with themes based off of Gorenson. Um, and uh, most recently, he did the Creed Three album. But you know, you guys check out. You guys all have uh, IMDb at your fingertips. You guys can check out his credits. But this was a very fun interview that we did. It was a it was a one on one type of situation. We got to sit with him. We just had a great time. So I would love for you guys to hear this to make up for our may or may not be May the Fourth episode. Magic energy machine. Yeah, that's a- surely you've got this queued up. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Mark. This is Paris. Nice to meet you guys. It's Saturday morning series. We celebrate the theme of Saturday morning TV that we not only grew up with, but we grew up with. Yeah. Um, we're probably a lot older than you are, but but we grew up watching uh, Saturday mornings like the Ewoks, Cartoon, Droids, even when I was little, football. But yeah, Star Wars has been a big deal. Uh, Star Wars. Well, it still is. Huh? And the whole garage. Yeah, you're you're working on the mail line. And I saw your name of credits. Last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> What does it feel like? You're. It feels amazing, man. I mean, I I echo your enthusiasm and love for this franchise. You know, I mean, I as a kid was crazy about it. Uh, you know, watched the movies just over and over, um, and would go to the like, you know, I I collected the the old 1977 action figures, and it was like I was I was a big collector back in the day. I loved baseball baseball cards. And I loved collecting these action figures, but we would go to this flea market. In the, I'm from Mississippi. We go to the flea market there, and uh, this one lady always had the old school 1977, like original release action figures. And I was like, I don't want it if it doesn't say 1977 on the back, you know? That I was just so crazy about half the original. So yeah, I had a, a collection there, actually, still in my studio now, kind of watching over my work, you know, <laughs> um, you know, giving me their blessing. I, you know, like I, I just love 
the whole franchise and and have for some so long. So I, I agree with that for sure. Well, and now that you're working with, uh, well, did you learn how to say Gork Gorgensen? Gork, uh, yeah, yeah. Go, well, I I'm mispronouncing, but I do say Gorgensen. But I I think he would pronounce it slightly differently, and I haven't mastered that. I mean, it's got the loud. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, He's gone along, and, and obviously I've seen his name pop up in his other movies and things like yep. that. He's obviously very good. And he obviously defined that kind of flutey kind of sound of yeah. the Mandalorian. So, you know, based off of that, like, where do you take that, and how do you fit in? Because I believe your actual credit is you do the score. Right, right. So what's the difference between what he does and then what you do? Well, Ludwig, I mean, Ludwig is... Um, just such a like phenomenal composer, and and the themes that he contributed to the Mandalorian like are already are iconic. Like they were they were iconic as soon as it went up, you know, the first time it set went up. Um, and and those flutes that you're hearing are recorders. You know, it's like the instrument that we all played in like uh, elementary school. The first one we learned. Yeah, exactly. But you can get any different size of them. So a lot of that was like a bass recorder. It's a really large recorder instrument. And um, anyway, he, he just wrote some amazing themes. Um, and what you know how our jobs relate on this season now the the arrangement is really like i get to use those themes and score the show you know so and they they wanted it to feel like the through line they wanted to feel the through line of season three stemming from season two which stemmed from season one and you know i i had assisted ludwig at first and and then we you know progressed into a more creative relationship over the years and so i was i was with him on season one and season two you know, season two, I was actually doing additional music. Um, so it just sort of organically grew from there. And uh, and he's just been such a great collaborator and friend and mentor. I mean, I, you know, I call him about issues or problems, you know, or even just advice, you know. I mean, he's, he's just a, he's a great guy. So I feel very grateful and fortunate to, to be able to work with him and, and with his music for this season. Yeah. So do you, like, take his his arrangements or whatever, just kind of reapply them? Or, do, like, do you have musicians, like, are you, like, do you bring in all of that, or is it just kind of in a computer and you just kind of put it all back in? No, no, no. Like, we record every single episode. So whether you're hearing, like, the the straight-up Mandalorian theme as it, you know, as it was originally written, or you're hearing an arrangement of that, or, you know, a variation, or you're hearing a new theme, like, that's all music that I've put together and we're re- recording with an orchestra. So, I mean, and we, we always had a, a big orchestra for these shows, but we've, we had a slightly bigger um, orchestra for this season because it's a little bit more uh, robust in a lot of the ways that the different Mandalorian sects and, and uh, clans are coming together and working together or fighting, you know, so like, um, yeah, it, it's, it's always re-recorded and re re um, made and and resampled sounds that you're hearing, but um, I'm quoting you know some of those themes in in my my own writing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy about the different themes um, as the show goes to different planets. Start there if there's an even way to the Mandalorian's not there. It's like okay, like in the previous episode, uh, without plus the one before with the Coruscant. Yeah, it, you know, it's got like a little spy gate. Yeah, so we probably watching the footage of the maybe collaborating, or please tell us what's you know what's are you watching the footage and then coming up with the uh, infinitely slow thing you want to take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, the, the editors on these shows just do such a brilliant job. Um, 
and they, they're constantly working with John and Dave and Rick about how to tell the story, you know, how to lay this out. But while, while they're editing, we're feeding them music um, and is sort of helping tell the story that they want to tell, you know. And it, but it always goes through John and Dave and Rick. Like, it, you know, their vision for the show is very strong, and they, but they give you enough space to feel creative and, and help support their vision in certain ways. And um, it's just such a joy to, uh, to see that process because, like, honestly, the, the show's kind of come to life after you, it gets the treatment of, I mean, I'm saying this as a composer, but, like, so I feel, you know, I'm biased. But, like, I do, I do think what they are presenting to me you know, their first edit of the episode, it it begins to start to come to life a little bit more once I'm able to score it, you know, and then actually give it that sort of touch. Um, and and they, they give you that space, and they're, they're just very clever people, very smart people. So. And also, folks, our fan question, how often do you, if you uh, jump on the set? Take a look here. I've been I've been to the volume once. Okay. Um, not. Yeah. I mean, it was just an insane. It is just like the craziest room you've ever stepped into. You know, like the the technical feat that that room is is like I don't understand it. I'm I'm not geared that way, but like it was it was a mind blowing experience. You know, and and they it just everybody at Lucasfilm and um, yeah, they they figured out a system that feels so innovative and new but also like we're still talking about star wars it still supports the legacy of that sort of worn in futuristic thing that star wars is sort of known for it's, it's really incredible you know it's really incredible and so i uh we just watched the fourth episode yeah this is the one with the uh, one of force on i've only seen it twice so far this <laughs> um, i it, it goes by so fast or yeah it, it goes by so fast that at the moment. And did you pull in some of John Williams' music from episode one, episode when you were doing that, those those quite the, the flashback? Yeah, he, with Ahmed. Yeah, our, yeah, when they were there with Ahmed. I, you know, there so the way that that flashback begins, it's Brogu's, you know, flashback. It's picking up from where we left off with the Book of Boba Fett, right? So like. I was I what I decided to do is to bring the audience back into that same flashback with the same music that I wrote for the book of Boba Fett as when he was with Luke and first went there um and you only get a taste of it there you know in the book of Boba Fett but now we get to see the rest of the story um I think that music is kind of built out of like some of the language that John Williams is known for and, and the language the musical heritage of Star Wars while while I wasn't quite quoting direct you know, themes of his, it definitely, it feels like in the same wheelhouse. And, um, and that's like my favorite music of all time. So I like, and it's music that I've cherished my entire life. So I, I feel very close to it as we all do. You know, you feel these are like, it's like putting on a, you know, a warm blanket. It's like, it feels nice to be in the Star Wars universe and, and feel that sort of musical language to accompany it while we were, we were trying to do something like slightly different and, you know, we're meeting new characters where we're learning more about Grogu and like how he made it out of uh, the order 66. I mean, it, it was such a beautifully shot and like directed scene, I would say that um, I, d- I just wanted to honor the past, you know, I really, I really wanted to honor the past and then, you know, build our own type of language in with it, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's new synths that are sort of in that scene and a different percussion that maybe you wouldn't catch in a, in a, the, feature film length, you know, type type of um, project or, or score from from other composers, you know, so um, 
Yeah, I, I just had so much fun with that, trying to like link and connect dots. You know, there's 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 been a lot of the Star Wars fan base. Gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> One of the things that I do not agree with this at all is that the, the uh, having the Mandalorian get back together with Broku in the Book of Boba Fett. Yes. How that should have been saved for the Mandalorians. Again, I do not agree with that. I like what they did with it. Okay. But and uh, you just alluded to some of the things that you brought over from the Book of Boba Fett. Right. To it. I I am of the opinion that it's just basically the same story. It just it kind of talks about Boba Fett for a little while. But that's all about Mandalorian. Yeah. Kids, uh, if you don't mind speaking on the themes of the music, because you did work on both. Yeah. If I'm right, is it really just kind of the same story, just even just musically? I mean, that's a really great argument you're making. Um, I think it all feels like it's happening around the same time or dealing with some of the same um, situations. The character, you know, to me, it feels like it's part of the same overall overarching story. Like, whereas when you watch a show like Andor, which was brilliant, that feels like a different, a a totally different tone and a different aesthetic, and it was really well done, you know. But, like, our, our shows have been a little bit more um, orchestral and a little bit more like classically Star Wars while also sort of like, I don't know, John has always said techie. You know, we've always like introduced some funky, quirky synths and, and weird percussion, you know. So I, I think if you're noticing, it's probably because like Ludwig and I have both worked on these shows for, you know, several years now and we have sort of developed the sound over time and like oftentimes I'm quoting like Ludwig sound in certain ways, you know, so like it is. Uh, it feels sort of all part of the same family, and, and we're kind of on one. You know, we're, we're telling one overarching story with all these side. You know, and it's all in music. It is. Yeah, yeah. You will hear. Yeah, you'll hear moments where I quote, quote the Book of Boba Fett, or you know, it's like season two. We meet Bo-Katan. I'm, I'm quoting her theme later on in the season. You know, it's like we're trying to like. That, that's part of world building. You know, it's, you're you're informing what came before by supporting what is happening on screen at that time, you know, and, and you're you're pushing a character along through the story and trying to do your best to help tell the same story, you know? <laughs> what One of my favorite things to happen on a Disney Plus live-action Star Wars yes. is that second episode of Book of Boba Fett, yep. and he becomes a Tuscan Raider, yes. and they close on that dance. Yeah, yeah. It was, that's so cool, right? Or did you fall and have music? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wrote that. Where, uh... <laughs> Why the why so much percussion? Like, what kind of inspired? Again, it's one of my favorite moments. And the last really? twenty years. Yeah, that's so awesome. And it worked because of that music. Yeah, yeah. It touched. It's just so. You know, worked. You know, there's a lot of natives in our the Howa family. Okay, like where we. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting sweet. I really connected to that. Oh yeah. Did that creep in? You know, did like the story of America creep in? Like, what what was it about that moment? Why do I like it so? It, well, it's like playing it. It's hitting on. I, well, I agree that that's a special, special moment. I mean, it it does hit on certain tropes of like the Western idea, the Western concept. When you think of old westerns, like I don't think they were trying to be as direct with it. It's just my own read on it. But like, you know, you think of a, a cowboy meeting a Native American, and like the cultures are so different and so distant from each other. But there, there are times where they come together and they begin to work together. You know, I mean, that that was kind of like that that moment where Boba Fett was accepted to be as part part of that tribe was really, really powerful in that sort of way because we're we're already familiar 
with that with archetype, I think, you know? And so, but musically, I was, you know, it was, it was definitely, you know, it was definitely something that John wanted to sort of highlight is like, this feels like a tribal ceremony this is a religious experience. This is like, you know, it's, it's a ceremonial, you know, brotherhood and sisterhood moment between these tribes coming together. And so we went super tribal with it, with it musically. And it, I recorded a ton of percussion for that. I mean, we, we had some brilliant percussionists play on that moment. And then we've got didgeridoos playing and we, and we, you know, we put the orchestra on top. I mean, it was a whole hodgepodge. Did you have the dancing before the music or the music did get the choreography going? They, they had the dancing. That, that is how they, yeah, they, they, you know, shot it in that, in that way. I, what was tricky, the challenge of that thing was finding like the tempo that would really match that and feel like we're pushing to the end of that episode. Like it was, it was definitely like the shape of that cue was something that John really, really wanted to get right. And all credit to him, like, he took a lot of what I had written and, you know, pieced it together in a certain way, like, on the dub stage. Like, he, he, he knows how music can work in, his, in a show, for sure, you know? Did you know or did you have the music they were dancing to? No. I wish I'd... Because that would have been easier to figure out what tempo they were, you know? <laughs> what if it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shakira. Yeah. Okay, but what? Right. <laughs> yeah. They, it was really, again, it was really, it was a powerful moment. It, you know, it's it's just one of those like peaks. You know, it just really shine. That, you know, when you're when that's your second episode. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to live up. That 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 was a hell of an episode. I'll say it was that, a hell of an episode. Yeah. And, you know, but but good thing about that episode is that like I was good. Everything that came after. This is the that's right. Of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it had reverence and it's just this incredible moment for him. Right. You know, it was really touchy for for those of us kids that thought that kind of got the short shaft. You know, yeah, yeah. I did the jet nod. Right. So, right. My gosh, what a moment. So congratulations for being a Thank you. Um, we'd like to thank you again for taking the time. Of course. Of course. got with us today. Yes. We, we know you have to go. Do you have a final question for this? I, well, I just actually a statement. I want to say that there's very few shows that uh, maybe, well, certainly very few were every episode I listened to the music throughout the whole credits. Yeah. And I think that's a testament to how to Brad's it, it all is. And I, I will say this from episode one, maybe hear it as well. As soon as you know, Did Jaren nails that guy, you hear that. The recorder's ass. That's when I do it. What about when you, when you watch the final product? Is that, what would you use like, what did you know this was? I I knew it. I mean, Ludwig had, I was his assistant at the time. This would have been the end of 2016, I think. He booked out a studio, like, where we were working at the time for a month, just a straight-up month, and started just compiling ideas, you know, making songs. So, like, um, if, the minute he played me that the Mandalorian theme, which, which was not orchestrated at the time, obviously, you know, he was playing piano, he's playing his recorders. Like, it was a, it was, I would say... I knew it was special the first time I heard it, like, as we all did, I think. You know, it's, it's just like when you know, when you have something good, you know it's good the minute it starts, you press play. So, I mean, all, all hats off to Ludwig, you know, for just writing an amazing theme. And that, that's why we all stick around for the end credits. You know, we want to hear it again. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good up. Yeah. <laughs> I think they also do the little... Oh, the artwork. The, the artwork. Oh, I mean, it's so cool. They've seen the concept art that went into that episode, and it reminds you of all the moments that you've just seen. You know, it's so cool. It's so cool. And how close it is. How at least you know it all comes to that creative spirit of yeah. How it translates so well. It's one of the coolest little innovations. I think so. It's, for sure. And also, it it kind of makes us 
stick around and see the names too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw it because I. Oh, so great! <laughs> yeah, the guy we're gonna meet him. Yeah, it was neat. It was it was it was such a moment. So congratulations again. Thank you, Career. Appreciate it, guys. I'll be looking for that name. All right, <laughs> nice to meet you guys. Y'all take it easy. Yes, bye. Have a good one. Come on, you guys. Only a little. Hungry for a big honey dash. Big days, honeycomb, big days. Honeycomb, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. so hungry he would steal from children. I, I figure since we had such giant guests in our giant show, let's do a giant honeycomb commercial to kind of seal it all, sweeten it all out, make it all just right. You nailed it. Is that, did I? Did I? Did I? Do That's it. it. Before, That's before a pretty big statement, you Mark. played it, I thought, you know, it would be great here. Some kind of Andre the Giant breakfast cereal commercial, and then boom, there you were, like oh. a genie. I know. I did it again. I keep. I'm the producer that gets it done, and here we are. <laughs> so yeah, guys, thanks again for all of this. We just had two mega guests. Um, obviously, Matthew Wood. I'm just a huge, huge, huge fan of his work. Um, and yeah, Joseph, Joseph Shirley. I mean, it was an honor to meet him. Um, this guy has just got, I mean, th- this guy's career, even though he's already accomplished so much, he's just, this guy's going places, man. And so keep an eye out for him. Um, the Mandalorian season three is in the can. It was a wonderful season. Um, but it was, it was. Yeah. I know, I know because it's the internet, I felt the need to take a shit on it, but I loved it. <laughs> Exactly, Marky. Oh, before yeah. we get too far away, uh, tip of the cap to you for your conversation and interview skills there at the old round table. You, oh, thank you. you. Yeah, and you always try to play it down like you're not good at it, and you know a lot of people would agree with you, but this time, <laughs> uh, you really did a good job. Well, uh, and hey, little Marky, mm-hmm. go ahead. Never too late to go to medical school. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to say well, that. Because early this won't be the last time you we play one of your interviews. Johnny Eck was there, you know. Oh, he's the no. he's the best uh Johnny is the best round table interviewer I've ever sat next to. But I did kind of hog this one because I absolutely love and you guys could hear it in that in that um in that sound is that I absolutely love I think of, of over the last, since the Disney era started, one of my most favoriteest things of all of Star Wars is that episode two of Book of Boba Fett. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but it's the one with the Tusken Raider dance, you know, that uh, Boba does. And Joseph Shirley did the music for that scene. And um, it was just great to be able to talk to the guy that composed that scene, that, that delivered the music for well, that particular scene. Here's a question that obviously you didn't get to, but, uh, but you know, maybe next time you can, Doctor. Uh, wouldn't that be considered cultural appropriation? Of what I mean, culture of Joseph Tuscan Shirley Raider. is not a Tuscan Raider. <laughs> I guess so. He writes their traditional music. It's 
Yeah. Little entitled. Well, we really don't know if Joseph Shirley is or isn't a Tuscan Raider. I mean, they're they're always wearing the things, so it could be. We have no idea. When you were talking to him, did he grab the microphone and, and hold it over his head, <laughs> rock it back and forth? <laughs> you know what? That is a gross stereotype as well. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think we are not on the right side of history here, boys. <laughs> Uh, you guys, any, any last minute Star Wars thoughts? Uh, what are you guys looking for? Um, look, what are you, what are you guys looking forward to in the year 2023, 2024, and 2025 Star Wars? Uh, I am looking forward to the announcement that, uh, Ryan Johnson will remake all of every single one of the Star Wars movies ever made. <laughs> okay. Jimmy? I am looking forward to the reveal of who is really Darth Vader. Ah, okay. Did I miss it? I'm... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want. I want to see if that emperor ever gets his comeuppance. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, perfect. yeah, he's got to come into him. Who <laughs> does? That's fun of a bitch. I mean, if there if there's ever some dude as you get thrown down like a mile deep shaft, that's the one. Well, thank you. Yes, uh, my answer to that question is that. Uh, they had just announced that they're going to do... That's all the time we got, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Morning Stereo. for this. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.